Welcome to the Topic of Conversation with your host, Rob Scoggins, Jr. Hi, and my name is Rob Scoggins. I am the host of the Topic of Conversation. We are here live every Wednesday night here at the original Brooklyn's, 100 yards away from where the Broncos play. And believe it or not, season is starting soon for the Broncos. So original Brooklyn's is definitely going to be picking up soon. If you uh, and of course every every week I get uh, I get geeked because I get to work with some great people week in and week out. Of course Stephanie who does all our IT over there, we thank her so much and her loving family and all, everything that goes on uh, throughout the weeks with with them. And of course my director producer uh, sitting back there, Matt Schiff. It's actually her her younger brother. There it's it's all in the family here at the show. And of course my technical director, my chief editor. He's also acting executive producer right now. Uh, Will Hartman sitting back there too well uh, as well. So I uh, love these guys and gals and, and cannot thank them enough for everything to do for the show week in and week out. We are here at the original Brooklyn's, which is 100 yards away from the Broncos play. If you ever want to join us, come down here and, and join us here every Wednesday night. Different topic. You can check out what topic is going to be on on Facebook or you can go to thetopicofconversation.com and find out there too, but mainly Facebook on our on our like page. So check us out at the Topic of Conversation on our like page. Of course, Brooklyn's also has free parking. They have, they're right next to light rail. It's a great spot to be in. And as the sun goes down, the Bronco Stadium goes up with lights and it's a nice little walk over there to go see all the Hall of Famers and the Wall of Famers and just everything that the Broncos have to offer. And of course, the original Brooklyn's is an historical landmark. So come check it out. They've got great food and great things to do, but we got a thing to do right now. Uh, once again, I'm Rob Scoggins. I'm your host of the Topic of Conversation. We're here every week. And guess what? Tonight, that's right, we have a teacher in the room, an educator, and guess what? It's a dude. I know. It's a dude. We haven't had a male. I, I've, been, I've been trying to get a male teacher on this show for decades, and, and, and we finally got one. And he's related to, uh, you know, Steph, uh, who helps with the show. That's how we got him. And he's willing to do this for us and come on the show. He is a neat guy. His name is Steve Foster. He has been teaching uh, for over 10 years in the Denver metro area. He's taught in three different counties. Uh, those of you who are Googling right now, he's taught in Cherry Creek. He's taught in Denver Public Schools. And he's also taught in, I believe, Mapleton, uh, Mapleton which I don't know where the hell that is. But we'll, Thor we'll, Thornton. We'll, we'll, Thornton, yes, yeah. Thornton area. So, uh, but that's good. He is awesome. He, he got his, he's got his undergrad from the University of Tampa. He was on a swimming scholarship or partial scholarship. And we'll talk about that. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Foster. How are you? Doing well. Yeah, thank man. you. We yeah, are so happy, so happy that you're here tonight and talking about the world of education in Colorado and the world of education around the nation. Um, before we do that, you, you were an athlete, student athlete. I was. Yeah, I yeah, swam swimmer. growing up. Yeah. You had a swimmer there. I mean, and, I really wanted to play baseball, but right. couldn't get the curveball. I know. So I might need to look. You trouble know, you with might the curve. Give me a couple tips as far as Is it as trouble goes. hitting it or trouble throwing? Hitting it. Hitting, hitting it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a lefty, so yeah. I could have. Yeah. I could have gone into tough. pitching. But. Have you seen the movie? What trouble with the curve? I have. It's great. No. Man. Maybe that's Clint, the whole Clint Eastwood, reason. Yeah. Amy Adams, Clint Eastwood. Great movie. Okay. Definitely check it out. Um, so you were an athlete, and and then you were a California boy. Right? Well, my extended relatives are from California, yeah. but I was I was born and raised in Colorado in Loveland. Okay. Um, so, uh, but we have a great excuse to go to Southern California during Sweet. the, during the summers. Cause basically all my relatives from our side of the family are out there, but born San, and raised in Colorado. San Diego, San Diego. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then, and yeah. of course, SeaWorld's down there. Yeah. So it's a nice place to go. <clears throat> yeah. You got La Jolla Shores, La Jolla Cove, you got yeah. Disney and you know. Isn't San Diego like the home of the nearly wed and I mean, newly wed and nearly dead. Is that what it is? <laughs> I'm not so no, sure I'm about, so I don't know about that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. 
Maybe yeah. it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, beautiful area, though. My goodness. Yeah, and I have a cousin that works on the USS Midway, and nice. so uh, Mark hooks us up, and we get to go throughout the the you know the uh, aircraft carrier, and it's kind of a museum now. So from the historical side of me being a social studies teacher, that's really cool too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Do they make fun of Anchorman in San Diego? I mean, is it just all over? I'm the sure place they with do. I haven't seen that. They, they try to. They're in a state of denial, like as far as the Saturday Night Live skit where they yeah. do, like talk about what route they get uh-huh. they take to get everywhere. Uh-huh. So, but they don't. They didn't even know about that when I brought that up. But I think they were in denial. They, they, you know? do, they don't watch TV. Yeah. They're too busy being at the beach, right? Yeah, exactly. So you were a swimmer. You went University of Tampa. Out of all places, man. I mean, the Bay Area. I mean, that area of Florida is gorgeous. How did you choose University of Tampa to get your education? Because you're a smart guy. You probably could have gone anywhere. Yeah, so a lot of it was what they offered academically. Um, They had a smaller campus where I think they had like 2,000 undergrads, and then they had a small graduate program as well. They had a Division II swimming program, um, so they were able to you know, offer a little bit of money, but like we're possibly going to talk about with Title IX, like not a ton, but they were able to help out academically as well. And I was a salutatorian in high school, so I was able to, you know, get the academic money that way as well. So what other other schools, is Tampa, is Tampa a private school or is it public? Yeah, it's private. Private. Yeah. What other, what other schools looked at you? Did you look at You know, I was thinking about DU, but at the time they were going through a change as far as like revamping their, their pool. And so we would have had to commute like twice a day for practice. And so that you don't want to swim in somebody else's pool yeah yeah yeah. so and it was a lot better swimming under palm trees anyways so although i did go to grad school at du so i you know i gotta gotta, give props to du but um and then uh there's another school in florida rollins which is out of orlando yeah and then um there was a school lake forest out of chicago and just a few schools here and there that i was thinking about but uh yeah tampa was the one and it was great to get away for four years but florida it was good for four years, and then I was back in Colorado. You, know? you were you were in college in the nineties, right? Uh, late I, 90s? I started in the late nineties, yeah, yeah. ninety eight, yeah. yeah. And and Title Nine, which a lot of people don't know. I mean, can you just explain a little bit what Title Nine is? Because that really affected you more than it affected me when I was in university. Yeah. So basically, what it is, as far as my understanding, is that you have to offer the same number of scholarship, athletic scholarships. It's not just athletics; it's other things as well. But one of the main things is you have to offer the same number of athletic scholarships to women as well as men. And so because of especially football and basketball, where you have this, uh, it's, it's a lot of revenue, revenue generating, sure. then um, they give a lot of their male scholarships to, for example, the football team. And at my school at Tampa, it was uh, to the soccer team, uh, sure. although there was a really strong women's soccer team. They had a strong team baseball team there, too. Really strong baseball team. So that was another thing for the, on the men's side. So in order to even it out, for example, on the swim team, um, there were eight full-ride scholarships available for the women's uh, swim team and only one full-ride that we had to distribute out among the entire men's team. Um, one so, scholarship? Yeah. For so, the whole team? Yeah. So I only for got, all the dudes? Yeah, for all the dudes, yeah. Wow. So we had, you know, like 25 guys on the team. There were only probably so everybody like... Got, everybody got 100 bucks. Yeah. I mean, there was only like seven of us that were actually under scholarship and yeah. the rest were walk-ons. Because sure. D2, you're not allowed yeah. to give a lot of scholarships exactly. anyways. There's no money. But so yeah, I was I had a thousand bucks. I think the the most that anybody got for for men were like five thousand yeah. dollars, and then you had to come up with the rest it's academically. Still nice. Yeah, I mean it was nice. good. Yeah, sure, it helps yeah. a bit. Yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Yeah. And Title Nine, Title Nine works. I mean, obviously, there's more women in university and in colleges now than ever before. Uh, there's more women in law school than men. There's more women in medical school than men now. There's more women in undergrad than men now. And all it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. Um, for some reason, men, us guys are going more into trade schools. We're going more into 
let's become a mechanic, let's become a, a, a tradesman, like in a plumber or an electrician and not go to university. Um, did you always know, Steve Foster, that you wanted to be in education? Did you want to, did you want to be a teacher? No, you know, my mom was, is a retired educator as well. She taught first grade and she always said, you know, Stephen, I think that you'd be a great teacher. And, you know, when your mom is telling you something like that, the first thing you want to do is go in the opposite direction. Yeah, of course, and yeah. so uh, for me, I never really did want to be a teacher because she was saying that to me. Um, but then I started coaching swimming um, in 2006 at my alma mater high school at Thompson Valley High School in Loveland. And uh, we were very successful. It was a lot of fun. And it was an experience like that where I was able to work with kids. We were successful. It was a lot of fun. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe mom's right. So that's when I kind of re-explored the idea and got into a grad program out of the University of Denver called the Betcher Teachers Program, mm -hmm. which is the same foundation that does the undergraduate Betcher program, which basically funds uh, like 100 scholarships every, every, single, every single cohort uh, in the state of Colorado. So... I was able to get essentially a free master's out of it in urban education. And uh, so that, that was kind of the path that I took as far as towards education. But for a long time, I did, I did not want to go into that. And social field. studies and history were, was it. Yeah. And that was another thing where I, to be honest, in high school, I didn't, I didn't like history and I didn't like social studies and I didn't like the teacher that I had for AP US history. So there's no and reason why you should be doing what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually kind of funny story. He had a bet with uh, some other teachers in the district as far as who would pass this uh, history test. And he told us, he said, Foster, I've got you down for a two on the test, which is like basically <laughs> a failing grade. Mm -hmm. And so that was all the motivation I needed to like study like night and day. And like I put on like the recording so that I could sleep through and anything possible to be able to do well on this test. And I ended up getting a four. And, uh, and then I got eight college credits before I even went to college because of the AP test. And that was like <laughs> halfway towards a minor. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll take a couple history courses, try to get that minor. And there was a few uh, professors at University of Tampa that I really, really enjoyed. One of which was Dr. Thomas Haggerty, who did a lot of like former communist country history and like Soviet Union, China, stuff like that. And, you know, so I ended up taking a lot of those classes. And then I was like, oh, I got a minor, might as well go for the major. And so then that's what happened. Do you agree with this statement? You cannot change the present without knowing the past, without knowing history. It's really hard to change what we're doing now. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that when people are saying like, oh, we shouldn't teach about the Holocaust because it, it was too painful. It's like, okay, well, that's what's going to make it so it repeats itself, you right. know? So I actually had that very similar statement that you're talking about posted on my class website to be able to kind of let kids know that that's kind of the approach that we should take in history is that it's not just about studying a bunch of old dead guys and dates. Like it's much more than that now, especially with Google. Absolutely. Like you can always Google stuff you and can. find out that stuff. You, know? you can and Wikipedia, but I know you have to add on to Wikipedia, but I mean, yeah, usually that. it's pretty, pretty reliable, accurate, yeah. you know? And so like most of my quizzes actually are open notes where it's sure. like, it's just like Google where you can just type it in and you can get the answer, but it's about the kind of deeper level thinking that I'm looking for. And we'll get know? into the, how you teach and how teaching has changed since yeah the 1950s to present day. I mean, obviously it's changed a lot in the way we approach it and do things, especially in the classroom. Um, I, I do have a son. He's a sophomore in high school. He kind of clues me in a little bit, but he also, dad, you don't need to know about that. I was like, okay. When it comes to, when it comes to education, you chose middle school. I mean, you could have chose elementary, you could have chose high school. A lot of men, uh, a lot of my other, other male friends who are teachers, they kind of teach high school and, and then go into administration work. You've had the opportunity to go into administration because of your you know, you're an academic scholar, you're a smart guy, you have great credentials, you're a good good teacher in the classroom, and obviously your kids 
really respect you, but you chose middle school. Why? Well, you know, I, I have, I started out in high school and I started out with seniors and that was, I mean, it was my first year, so it was very challenging, but seniors, you know, they had one foot out the door and it wasn't a requ- required course that I taught. And so it was, a, it was there was a lot of challenges so they kind there. They blew it off. Oh, they totally blew yeah. it off. Yeah. And, and, but then I went down to freshmen and that was a lot. I, I really enjoyed teaching freshmen and, uh, and then, you know, it's also a fit as far as the leader that you have, like your principal and the building as a whole and the community. And so that's the first thing that I look at before I actually decide oh, middle school or high school is it's all secondary and it's all similar as far as the pedagogy about it all and the approach to it all. And uh, luckily for me right now, the school that I'm at, like there's a very strong leader. His name's Kurt Dennis and it's in Park Hill and Stapleton that are very strong communities that are very supportive. And so... From my perspective, that's the first thing that I look at is, and, and from the middle school perspective, like seventh grade, which is what I teach, it's such a unique year where they, the how they are when they start the year to how they are when they finish the year, they're so different. And right. it's like you're, 180 you're, degrees. Yeah. Boys to men, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, so, and girls to ladies. Yeah, exactly. Young, young ladies. They yeah. Just, and so mind. to be able to experience that and to kind of, it, it's they're very moldable. And that's I really enjoy that as well, as opposed to like, you know, nothing against seniors, but a lot of seniors, they've already got their mind made up. Like, I'm going to school, or I'm not going to college, or this is who I am, this is my identity. Yeah. But to be able to allow them, you know, to help facilitate their discovery of their own identity and to be able to facilitate their 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 path is really cool, I think, too. I think teaching is a gift. It really is. You're, you're sitting across from a guy who's severely dyslexic, so I'm very jealous of your brain and the way it can read and write and all that stuff, because I know if, if my brain could do that, I'd, I'd probably be a different person. I don't know. But... The, 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 we'll get into some special ed later, but the teaching, I mean, you get this hodgepodge of kids. I mean, how many people, how many students, how many seventh graders do you get in a classroom now? Is it 20, 30, 40? Uh, typically between 30 and 32. Okay. Yeah. From and our, is that a good number? Is that a, is that a teachable number? Is that, I mean, have you ever gauged it where, okay, if I had 15, I could do a lot more than, than having 32? Well, my second through fourth year teaching uh, our school was kind of going downhill as far as student population. So I had on, you know, like 15 kids in a class. And I think that's not enough where it didn't really feel, it didn't have that merit kind of. But once you reach 30, I think, like especially 31, 32, then it's, it's kind of the law of diminishing returns where it's just... It's, one too it's, many rats. I'm not calling different. children rats. Yeah. I'm not. But it's one too many, it's the term, one too many rats. Yeah, I would say the ideal number is probably more like... 22 to 25 would be the ideal you know. number if you could if you could write a book you say 22 for seventh grade yeah i mean for like kindergarten first second it'd be more probably like you know 15 to 18 or mm-hmm. something like that but by the time they're in you know secondary school i think you know 24 to 28 is okay yeah why don't male in your professional opinion i'm going to ask you both in your professional opinion and your personal opinion we'll start off with professional why don't men stay in in education why do they want to rank up so much or if they don't rank up fast they leave you know i'm not exactly sure on that one i do uh, my my uh master's program that i was in uh they they paid particular attention to making sure that there was uh, a lot of men in the field and so one of my really close friends is a kindergarten teacher who's a, who's a man and he's he's great and uh you know i think that it's definitely important especially in, in the early years unfortunately with you know like in, in it's just certain, role models too exactly yeah. and and depending on not how that women aren't great role models they just don't see a lot of guys 
in yeah. the classroom. Yeah. And so to be able to have, like, I would love it if my daughter, my four-year-old daughter were to have a kindergarten teacher who was a guy. You sure. Know, that would be incredible. My wife and I have actually talked about it. Like, oh, if Bill Penny could be Iris's teacher, that would be so incredible. awesome, you yeah. know? So, so I'm not sure, you know, I'd have to probably do a little bit more research on that one, but it would be great to be able to continue to build on that number. And luckily, I think the Better Teachers Program, which is what I was a part of, they do key in on that. And they also do. to be able to retain teachers for more than like the three to five years that a lot of teachers stick around and then they end up finding something else. So I think the good news is, is that there are some uh, teaching programs out there that really do key in on those couple of things that, you know, that we just talked about. How many years have you been a teacher? This will be my ninth year, I believe. Ninth year, yeah. so almost ten years. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So from that, you've taught in three different three different uh, districts in this state of Colorado. Yeah. Uh, you taught up there near near Brighton or is it near Thornton? Uh, near... Thornton and okay. unincorporated Adams County. And, so it's yeah. unincorporated Adams. Yeah. And then you've taught in uh, Cherry Creek. Yeah. One of the more wealthier districts. Yeah. And now you're in Denver City Public. Yeah, Denver Public oh, Schools. Denver yeah. Public Schools. Yeah. Let's go back up to when you were in um in Thornton and un- unincorporated Adams. Compared, compare the three. Just give us a little sure. talk. Tell us a little talk on how different uh, the dichotomy and, and just yeah. ethnicity and everything in, yeah. in the three counties. So, you know, Mapleton, a lot of people don't know about Mapleton Public Schools. It's a very small district, kind of right smack dab in the middle of the Denver metro area. Um, and they have a tremendous amount of poverty in that district, unfortunately. So a good number of the schools are what's called Title I schools, which means that at least 50% or more of the students are on free and reduced lunch. Um, so, uh, poverty is, and that means they'll get lunch at school. Yes. Which is also by the, by the County for the the feds, by the feds. Yeah. Yeah. And by the federal government, by the federal government. Okay. Yeah. And so what that also means is how many, many, what's the percentage, uh, in order to qualify for being title one, you have to have at least 50%. Okay. So at least half. So more than, okay. Um, and so I think every school, if not most schools in Mapleton are, are title one schools, which also means that they do get a little bit of a bump as far as the federal funding for being a Title I school where they get a little bit of extra funding for that. Now, does um, the teacher get paid the same? I mean, I mean, yeah, obviously, that's obviously set by the teachers are, are paid by the district, but also paid by the tax dollar. Yeah. Correct? And so that's determined by, it's it's a yearly negotiation between the teachers union and the, the district itself. Okay. And so whether or not somebody is a member of the teachers union, that's something that they benefit from being in the teachers union is the, the negotiation of the salary. Are you a member of the teachers union? Um, off and on I have been, okay. and right now I currently am not. And I know my mom, if she's listening to this, she's going to kill me because she is a big time union person. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, ever since with, when I switched over to DPS, the, the healthcare was, uh, really, really tough as far mm-hmm. as the amount. So I had to kind of hedge my losses and that was one area that I had. So to was it, the only reason why you're not a member is because of healthcare. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. That's so, fair. so yeah, but, um, so with the, uh, with the salary, um, that's something that's, that's the negotiation, but with the title one, that's not necessarily something that impacts the salary. That's okay. more the general fund as far as the materials and the resources that the school gets. So uh, up there in unincorporated Adams, it was, would you say, you know, were there, did you teach children who were in poverty? Oh yeah, there's a lot of kids there in poverty and in Mapleton, and um, and so the the tricky thing is that ethnically, you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity because the program that I went through was called Urban Education, which focused on diversity as far as race goes, but as also as far as poverty goes. Um, and in Mapleton, it was it w- wasn't very diverse ethnically. It was I think I want to say it was like. 
83% uh, Latino and like, you know, 10% white and, you know, 3% other or whatever sure. it is. Um, and so when I moved to Cherry Creek, um, it was a very affluent neighborhood at Fox Ridge Middle School. Um, and, and it was a lot more diverse ethnically, um, more so than when I, what, I, what I was expecting. What I, what I was expecting. Were yeah. you expecting mainly almost 100% white? Yeah. And there was a, a, a pretty good percentage of African-American and Asian, and, uh, but especially African-American, that it, w- it was a really good mix That's down great. there. And, uh, and, you know, it was a very affluent neighborhood. And so there was a lot more involvement on the part of the parents and also with summer camps and things like that, where, you know, a lot of it is, is based on what's happening from birth with, at the parent, at sure, the home. Absolutely. Know? And so I definitely noticed a lot of that. Um, and then in Denver Public Schools at McAuliffe International School, it's like the best of both worlds where it's super diverse. The community is very involved. Um, and there's, I want to say there's like 25% free introduced lunch. So it doesn't qualify for Title I status. So doesn't, but not federal. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, um, but there's definitely a need there as far as I feel that like the urban education master's degree that I went with uh, Betcher and DU is actually getting put to use. And so that's nice to be able to use that as well. Um, so, so yeah. And like I said earlier, like it also depends building within the building as far as like how your leadership is. And my boss, Kurt Dennis, uh, has done a great job as far as. Do the principals still hire teachers? Do the principals yes. do the interviews and they hire the teachers if there's a vacancy? Usually, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's a committee, but usually it, the final decision rests in the principal, principal. typically. Okay, yeah. so they're still the boss. Yeah. And is the vice principal still more the disciplinary person? Or has that well, changed? It depends. A lot of times that goes to the dean. But okay. we, we dean just have like, we just call it an admin that each grade level has an ad- administrator. And so we don't have necessarily like a dean versus a principal, but the seventh grade admin is somebody besides the principal. is like an assistant principal. So... And that's the disciplinarian. Too. In, in, in education, obviously, there's been a lot of diversity, and you've looked, you've been, you've you've traveled the world, and you've been around. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I look at China. Okay, I, I just look at China and the and the Asian culture. They've been around longer than us, so a little bit easier to look at, right? Their parents, the parents of that child. I know typically they only have one. Now that's going to change soon. They're going to be able to have more. But typically, you look at that. And they are so involved. They're over-involved almost. They're so involved in their children's education where they honor their teachers. They're still standing up when the teacher comes into the room. They're still, they still understand that a teacher is, a, is, is biblical, which it is. It's a, it's a biblical job. It's an it's a, it's a honored job over there. It's an honored job in some other countries too. Where has the United States just said, no, it's just a job? And basically, you're going to educate my child, but you're also going to babysit my child. You're also going to mentor my child. You're also going to be a huge influence in my child's life. And I barely know you. Yeah, you know, I think it just depends because another thing to play into it is like what age we're talking about. Because I know like with Japan, for example, I was just having a really good conversation with a friend where from like birth to age six or whenever they enter school, they like let them basically do whatever they want. Correct. And then once they enter school, then they get into that very rigid kind of structural type format, you know. But I think from my perspective, and I think it depends, you know, Teacher Appreciation Week recently has been like from when I started teaching to now, like it's this whole new thing where like maybe it's just the building that I'm in. But like we get treated like kings, not just during that week, like every single month they like make us little little lunch and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so the community like picks up the slack where 
whether it's the government or whether it's, uh, you know, in certain cases, like, uh, you know, parents not showing up for conferences or whatever, you know, I think that for the most part, the general community is super supportive. And so, especially within the last few years, it's been so nice to be able to get those monthly lunches and like those little thank you notes and stuff like that. So I think, I think it's definitely taken a turn for the better. That's wonderful. Yeah. Another thing is, uh, and I and you have to talk to me about the, the, the three districts you've taught in, but also talk to about your friends who teach around the country. Are we over-medicating our kids too soon? Are we putting kids on Ritalin and everything else to calm them down uh, and, and focus them? I think, and I've, I've said this several times on the show, and I know the guys, Matt and Will, are tired of me saying this phrase, but I don't think ADD is a syndrome. I don't think it's a disease, you know, attention deficit disorder. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's an evolution of mankind. You have to be ADD or some sort of, you know, to, to, to live in this world now. We have, we have, you know, palm pot, we have things going on all over us, uh, TV, you know, internet, everything uh, to take all that in. Are we over medicating our kids too soon? You know, I think kind of like you led to a little bit with uh, the screens that are available constantly. Uh, that's something that I think does take a toll on, on kids. And so, you know, I think there, are, I've, I've definitely come across situations where it's uh, a treatable uh, instance where like it does help them. Sure. Um, but I think that also there's so, there's so many things that parents can do that we as teachers can do as far like from the middle school perspective, like getting them up and moving them around we have an eight-hour school day at my school where they're actually at school from eight until four. And so by the time three o'clock hits, it doesn't matter if they have ADD or ADHD or not. They're like, done. They need to be getting up and moving around. Yeah. And so uh, from the seventh grade perspective, like they're actually in their core classes. So they're in social studies and language arts. It's one thing if you're in PE, but if you're yeah. at the end of the day and you're sitting through talking about a no- you know, some novel or something like that, you're done. You, you're done and you need to get up and move around. So that's where... Another thing I've noticed is that we've really, uh, as an educational community, taken a, a really close look at really actively involving kids where they can have that kinesthetic approach to learning as far as getting up, moving around. Where they get a chance to play. Yeah, to play, yeah. to be able to take a corner and do surveys where, like, you know, you, ha- you go in various corners according to what you think and have those debates and uh, Socratic seminars and things like that. So, so I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a village like it always does. And... Uh, you know, while there are instances sometimes where I think that that it's uh, uh, like most prescription drugs, they get overprescribed, and that's a whole other thing as far as the drug companies and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I think that a lot of times it's it's also the environment and the and the circumstances surrounding it. Sure, yeah. I understand that. And yeah. and Steve, you're being very honest and open, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it, you've you've lived it, you've been in it for um, you know almost ten years, so you know yeah. what's going on out there. You have children who are about to enter it. Do you ever think about uh, changing? I mean, like, just putting your foot down and saying, look, we can't do it this way anymore. The kids are evolving faster because it's not the 1950s, you know, where the kids wore ties to school or wore little suits to school. They're wearing whatever they want to to school most of the times. But have you ever just put your foot down and said, look, we've got to stop doing it this way. You know, we've got to get, I mean, everything's more computerized now, more, more you know, everything, like you said, you give um you know you give your tests with with open open open, open iPads yeah, yeah. <laughs> open iPads yeah. or open notes um have you have you put your foot down on anything and said look we just got to we got to change this 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times in the educational community, it's always like the next best thing. And so before we have a chance to be able to try some method out, like a lot of times that's it's at a district level um, and it's something that where it's some mandate or a state level or something like that, where it's like, okay, we haven't tested this to see if it works, but we're going to move on to the next best thing. And so uh, to be able to kind of slow down a little bit and make it so we can use the data that we have to be able to see whether or not what we're doing is actually working. When I was in Mapleton, and the the reason why I actually left Mapleton is because I was at a school that uh, it was what was considered a failing school. Mm -hmm. But then we ended up getting a new principal and he was great and it seemed like things were going in the right direction, but then they closed down the building before the test results even came in from when this guy was the principal. So, So they kind of had already made up their decision and they had already kind of set up set him so up it was just a smoke and mirrors thing they did yeah and so i think unfortunately in education a lot of times like most things there's a little bit too much politics involved with it and uh, especially when you start to get these special interest groups on both sides of the aisle that come in and, and throw a bunch of money in these various campaigns that um as long as you are thinking about you know what's best for kids more than anything then i think you can't lose but a lot of times there are other uh factors that go into it besides like what do kids actually need you're a history guy you've yeah. studied history all your life when did when did education become political when, when did it start was it was it ronald reagan in the 80s was it before that with nixon was it before that with kennedy i don't rem- i don't i don't know i don't either and i mean i've been in education for the last nine years and it's always been pretty political which is one reason why i'm not super interested in becoming an ad- administrator myself um, and hats off to anybody that's like a assistant principal, principal, or a district level administrator out there, because it's something that you have so many different uh, stakeholders that you have to answer to that it's like this huge political balancing act continuously, you know. But so, I mean, it's, it has to have been before I entered nine, 10 years ago. So, but I, I don't know the answer to that because it's always no, been like that since, fine, I've, yeah. since I've been. The, the school vouchers, the vouchers, the thing that's been. A political thing for the past 20 years. Explain that to the to the listeners and people who don't really understand that and people who, who are listening to us in other countries. What was the school voucher whole thing? Well, um, the main way that I know about it is through Douglas County, and I'm by no means an expert on that because I haven't really done much work in Doug, any work in Douglas County. So I'm just, you know, like anybody else as far as listening to media reports and reading the internet and stuff like that. But basically, it, it allows for families to get the money that would be dedicated for their child in a public school and to take that money and to enroll their child in a parochial or a private school. Like Valor Christian. Yeah. Like Valor yeah. Christian, yeah. And so the idea is, especially in neighborhoods um, that have failing schools, is to be able to let ki- families make the decision for their student to go to a private school so they can hopefully have a little bit better Which education. I don't think Douglas County does. No. No, no, Douglas so, County is one of the, it's the seventh wealthiest county in the country. Yeah. Not, not just, not in the country. It's a yeah, very, so very what, wealthy that's what county. ends up happening in Douglas County, even though I think, you know, the original intent was to, to be able to help out all kids and to be able to allow that opportunity to all, all families. But, and a part of it is that, you know, the more involved families that are also happen to be usually a little bit more educated and be listening and reading and doing their homework and stuff like that. They're the ones that are knowing about this. And a lot of the families that actually need it, they're, they're not informed about it. So that's another kind of core problem. Half the live audience is, is, is with me. And then the other half is, is with you. 
uh, meaning I don't remember school or college with cell phones. I don't. We didn't have them when I was in high school and university. People had little flip phones. We had pagers, but we didn't have, not everybody had a cell phone with a, com with a computer built into it. Now cell phones are basically, they're phones, I mean, they're computers with a phone in it. You have to deal with that on a daily basis, especially in middle school. Is typically now, I mean, my son got a cell phone, I think, when he, when he was in sixth grade, yep. maybe seventh. I, I don't remember. But you have to deal with that on a daily basis. Do you just tell them to put it in a box when they walk <laughs> into your classroom? Cell phones go here and you hit the how do, how do you how do you teach with cell phone the, in the cell phone world? Well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And in the building that I'm at currently, they're just outlawed. They're just blacklisted. You can't can't use them. Uh, during lunch, they let them go to their locker and check their text messages from their parents, and they can make a quick phone call as far as like arranging for a ride and stuff like that. But besides that, they're just banned. And if if you see them, you uh, teachers take them away, turn them into the front office, and uh, they need to pick them up at the end of the day. So, now, is that is that Denver Public School? No, wide? that's just is within that just the school. You? That's yeah. just your school rule. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of something from the principal that said, this is how we're going to do with it, uh, deal with it. All the way across. All the way across. And, you and know, that middle school, that's great. It's Now, good. is the high school they go into, does the high school that they go into agree with that too? So it becomes Well, and that's little... the thing is that, you know, a, a part of me thinks that, you know, as educators, we need to educate them about how to use a cell phone. And so, like, if we were to be very clear and structured as far as, like, these are the times that you can and can't you know, check your text message. If your grandma's in the hospital and you need to check and if you get a text then it's okay to be able to, you know, discreetly check and see if it's related to her, you know, even if you're in this meeting, you know, sure. and to excuse yourself if it's an emergency. And so those are things that depending on the support that a family has at home that a kid either is or is not getting. And so yeah. that's another thing that's tricky as a teacher as far as like, is that our responsibility to be able to to help our students out with those types of things too, that a lot of times the parents are helping them out with at home, but not always, right. you know. In America and in the United States, and you can just you can just talk about Colorado if yeah. that's what you want to. But in America, in the United States, how 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 involved do you think the parents are in, in their child's education? I mean, it's it's certainly not like Japan or China or India, but how how involved do you think they really are? Or do you think it's based on how smart or how educated the parents are? Yeah, typically it's based on education of the parents, and it's also based on uh, the income level of the parents. A lot of it, that's a pretty good indicator. Really? Social economic, back social yeah. economic background? Exactly, right. yeah. So, you know, like I had kind of previously mentioned in Cherry Creek and also at McAuliffe, luckily, uh, we have a lot of very involved parents that can, are able to, you know, take their kids to their the camps and to like the zoo camps and to space camp or wherever during sure. the summer. But then there are also a good percentage of kids that during summer they're, you know, playing video games the entire time and, and you know, like watching TV because their parents are working two jobs or whatever. And so it, it, that really causes a lot of the disparity right there is the socioeconomic background as far as what kind of parental involvement that a parent can or cannot give. And so it, it is the education level and it's also the socioeconomic background that I think plays into that. Have you seen a big turn of children going into homeschool who parents are a little bit more affluent, a little bit more conservative or whatever. I, I see the more conservative movement of families putting their, you know, homeschooling their kids compared to the more of the liberal families who say, my kid's going to public school. You know, I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know a lot of ho homeschool families just because I mainly teach public school kids. Right. And so 
you know, I do see some uh, conservative families that are going to private schools and maybe a few that are going into home schools. But, uh, but at the same time, like when I was down in Cherry Creek, that the neighborhood that I was in there, it was a fairly conservative neighborhood and there was still a, a very involved parent community that was part of the PTA and stuff like that. And so, so sometimes that can be a factor, but not always. The computer, the, we're in the computer, we're in computer yeah. generation, computer world. Um, the computer has kind of, you know, made a travel agent's job irrelevant. Uh, they've made some other jobs and careers irrelevant. Uh, now that they have online schools, uh, online middle schools, online high schools, uh, in the next 10 years, uh, do you see the teaching profession going, oops, what, why aren't we following this? Or, or are you afraid of that at all? You know, that is something that comes up in my thoughts a lot. And I've taken a lot of online courses. Um, I took a few graduate courses uh, last summer, actually, where it was purely based online. And part of the requirement is that you had to kind of read some other, somebody else's post and do a response on two other people's posts and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, like you're not able to have a true like critical thinking conversation unless everybody's in the room. I agree. And I mean, I think the, the technology is getting better and better where you can do these massive chat rooms and stuff like that, Google Hangouts and sure. stuff like that. But I think when it boils down to it, like the best way to be able to promote critical thinking is to be able to have like Socratic seminars and big group conversations and, you know, presentations that have a big question and answer session. And you're not, you're not able to do those things nearly as well unless everybody's there at the table. You know? uh, a friend of mine on Facebook wanted me to ask you this question. Is there a chalkboard in your classroom and it, why? It's a white, it's a whiteboard. Yeah. Like a, a I, I call it a, like a grease marker. Okay, so you know? there's yeah. no more chalkboards anymore. I mean, I mean, luckily, I mean, luckily in the newer schools, there's chalkboards are so irrelevant. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. I mean like the, you have a the dry projector, erase board. <laughs> yeah. The projectors, the dry yeah. erase board is yeah. basically the screen for the projector. For the projector. Yeah. yeah. But it's a good thing because my handwriting actually is so horrible <laughs> that I try to avoid doctor, writing right? as yeah. much as possible. Yeah, I do like the basic chicken scratch, you know. <laughs> so it's a good thing that I've yeah. got that projector. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so so no more chalkboards. So so the modern day schools that are being built around the country, chalkboards are so irrelevant. Yeah, so nowadays you've got the Promethean boards. Right. You've got the interactive, uh, the interactive boards that you can kind of like do a math problem and then save yeah. your work yeah. and then it turns it into the, the text. And so your like wonderful that. preschooler daughter, three years old, she's going to walk into daddy's class or some old classroom somewhere, you know, in, in middle, middle America going and looks at the chalkboard goes, what is that? You know, are you ready for that question? You're gonna have to explain what a chalkboard is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she has been into my classroom before and she loves yeah. using those markers on the yeah. whiteboard. Yeah, so yeah. that's going to stay, I think for the long haul, yeah. but yeah. And she does, you know, she knows, everybody knows sidewalk chalk. So, sure. oh, yeah. so that's the yeah. connection so they, that you've they, got they there. A little yeah. bit. They get us a little chalk. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at education in, in the, in Colorado, let's talk a little bit about Colorado right now. Um, the education process, we're pretty good. We're a pretty good state. Uh, we've only got 5 million citizens or, or, or that, that can vote or, pay taxes. Uh, the other 2 million don't. Um, the, the, oh, I don't know about the other 2 million. I think it's 5.7 million people live in the state right now. Uh, but, uh, and we keep getting more and more and more people in. Um, when it comes to you getting paid, uh, do you, as the, as the population grows, do teachers get a little bit more money because it, you guys are, your, your retirement is based on the state. Uh, the state gives you retirement, not the county. Is that correct in Colorado? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So, are you looking at like, hey, bring them in? You know, I'm, the more people live here, the more the more solid my retirement will be because there'll be people still paying into it. 
You know, I think. Uh, I mean, you're still you're still a very young man. I mean, you don't have to worry about that right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, so there's a book, and I forget who the author was. Uh, it's called Savage Inequalities, and it talks about the discrepancy in public education, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is based on the fact that funding for uh, public schools is almost exclusively on property taxes. Correct. And so when you have a, a neighborhood that has million dollar homes. You know that is they're able to get a lot more of the cut as far as Douglas County, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so so that's something that, as long as the you know the homes that they're building are worth a lot, then that's going to help out education. But meanwhile, you've got something like the marijuana legalization that the whole reason, one of the reasons why I believe it got passed was because on all the advertisements it said that a lot of money was going to public education. Um, And what would you know, but Two years later, and you know, from what I have heard and from what I've discussed, a lot of it has it's it's mainly going towards rural education, as far as like on the eastern plains and stuff like right. that, and it just goes towards building and structural improvement. So you you make these great uh, new buildings on the eastern with no plains. chalkboards. Well, you can pay yeah, for the yeah, chalkboards with chalkboards. the pot. You yeah, can pay right. for whatever you want, sure you, you know, can, except you can't pay for salaries for teachers. <sighs> and so that is something, yeah. from my understanding, you can't pay with that with the marijuana legislation. Until marijuana becomes legal all across the country, that's when they'll start getting that money. Yeah. Well, you, get, you, get, you get lottery money, though. I mean, that's legal all across the country, right? You know, some of the lottery, uh, I think some the lottery, lottery money, money goes towards parks, open space. Is it parks and, and parks. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it goes towards go to education. education at all. No. So no. marijuana will be... Kids will be getting educated through marijuana someday. Well, they'll get nice buildings, Some, nice buildings. On, the, on the planes. Yeah, in a town of 500. It doesn't seem yeah. fair, does it? It doesn't seem fair. Well, and, you know, I think that they, they know where to, you know, push the buttons of the common non-smoker in Colorado where they'll vote yes on it. You know? Before we go to break, in your professional opinion, what should a teacher get paid? What, what you know, and I don't care. Make, make it big. I mean, make it, make it, make it wow. People go, you know, make it a wow number. But what do you think an entry level, first year, right out of college, undergrad with a master's, should get paid teaching third grade? Let's just go with middle. Let's go with elementary. What what should they get paid? Because I know what they get paid. I want to know what you think they should get paid. I think that no matter what the number is, I think in order to avoid brain drain where, you know, a lot of people that are uh, intelligent kind of academic minds are going into law school and medical school, it needs to be competitive with that. So as long as you can compete with uh, a lot of the other like academic fields um, so that people can decide for themselves what they truly enjoy more as opposed to what they're going to get paid more. I think that's what will need to happen in order to be able to have teachers that are consistently like staying in education that, that love their, you know, that but do you think it should be 50,000, 60,000, 40,000? What do you think is fair for, uh, you know, a teacher coming in male, female with an undergrad and master's, and what do you think? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of factors there. One of which, if you're living in Aspen versus if you're living in sure. Thornton or something okay. like that, where like the cost of living, you know, like. Okay, so it should be based on cost of living. I think it should be based on cost. Okay. I think should, it should be able to guarantee a, a fairly, you know, middle class lifestyle with, you know, a family of four, family of five, where, you know, even to the point of where not both parents don't, ideally, both parents don't even have to go to work. Do you, you think know? there should be a, ta- you think there should be a price for, across the United States that everybody gets paid a certain amount as they rank up, you know, throughout the whole country. It doesn't matter whether you're in rural West Virginia or you're in the rich, one of the richest counties like Manhattan, which is, you know, which is New York City, which yeah. is, which is, um, um, uh, which I guess would be Nassau County. 
uh, in New York, uh, whether you're there or here or West Virginia, just across the board, everybody gets paid the same. No, because, you know, the cost of living is different. Okay, so you're, yeah. you're still in the cost of living. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Sure. So. When we come back after break, we're going to talk uh, to Mr. Foster about what he thinks about, uh, more, more about what he thinks about education, but what he thinks about uh, the, the kids coming into school or, or, you know, before they get into school, like preschool stuff. We're also going to talk to him about what he does outside and helping educate the world. And we'll talk to him a little bit more about uh, the college world of kids going into university right away. We'll be right, right, right after the break. And Rob Scoggins, this is the topic of conversation. Thanks. Hi, my name is Rob Scoggins. I'm the host of the topic of conversation. We are looking for great sponsors, and we hope it might be you. Get your advertisement heard during the show on our podcast and on our website, thetopicofconversation.com. I'm Rob Scoggins, your host. Thanks. And welcome back. I'm Rob Scoggins. This is the topic of conversation. We are right here in downtown Denver at the original Brooklyn's, the historical original Brooklyn's bar and tavern. Check it out when you're in Denver, Colorado. Just come here on Colfax. You'll see it. It's original Brooklyn's 100 yards away from where the Broncos play. They've got free parking. It's a block away from light rail and the bus station. It's a great place to come before a Rockies game or it's definitely the place to be before a Broncos game. And that season is starting faster than we know. So uh, they're also the defending Super Bowl champs. So check that out, too. It's a great place to be, Original Brooklyn's. They also have a great patio, a great indoors and upstairs. You can rent the place if you have a party or anything coming up, uh, an anniversary or a party or a get-together or a reunion. It's a great place to be is the Original Brooklyn's right here in downtown Denver, 100 yards away from where the Broncos play. The tonight's topic is education in Colorado and the United States, and we're very blessed to have Steve Foster here uh, he is a, a local guy from Colorado, born and raised in Loveland. He's got uh, family in California. He went to University of Tampa. He is a neat, neat guy, and he his credentials are are through the roof. And he's a wonderful educator uh, through through what his uh, through what his credentials say. We're here, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what he feels about the students coming in, the preparation. Obviously, you have a preschooler, and you also have another baby. It's yeah, four months old. A little four-month-old cutie. Yeah, oh, Talise, so, and then Iris is the, the four-year-old. the cutest freaking kids on the planet. <laughs> and then your friends brought her children. She's got young children. Yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, uh, Steph has yeah. kids already in school. Uh, let's talk about preschool in the United States a little bit. Um, what do kids need to know now? I mean, we, 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 we seem to get them out of the womb and hand them an iPod, an iPad, add pee, add whatever. Yeah. Uh, but they had them, I was trying to do a thing. We hand them an iPad before they learn how to pee. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, <laughs> it came out wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but what is it these days? I mean, we, these kids are, are on these iPads. They already know how a computer works before they get to preschool. Now they already know how to, you know, they, what's a speak and spell. I mean, my, my son, you know, it's a speak and spell. What are you talking about? Or, you know, what's this, what's that? Uh, Leapster seems to be, what, what is it? What, what are you teaching these young, what do they need to know? Well, I mean, this is purely based on the experience of the last year with my daughter Iris being in preschool at Aurora Public Schools. And she went to Jamaica Child Development Center, had Miss Lindsay, who was a great teacher. And um, the, the building was a really positive building. In my opinion, that first year is mainly about socialization. Yeah. And uh, we were fortunate enough where thanks to the support of our family, thanks to the fact that my wife and I had different working schedules, we didn't utilize daycare a lot. Um, so that was the main thing that we were looking for was to be able to have her where she could socialize and to be able to learn those important skills that you need in order to be able to be a productive group member or just a productive playmate. Sure. Um, but the standards of that I know of for preschool, at least after before they get into kindergarten, I believe they're supposed to count to 25. I believe there's, they need to know uh, some basic like at least like 10 letters or something like that. 
Um, and so that's something where it's like, wow, like when, when Iris first started last year, mm -hmm. it was a big time learning curve for us as far as like, wow, we didn't realize that it's coming up so quick. You know, it she was just, she was three yet. years old and now we're needing to count to 25, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, the Jamaica child development center people, they did a great job and, uh, they work really hard and, uh, it's only, that's another thing that it's only two and a half hours that they get four days a week with the kids. And so you have to cram a ton of stuff into a very little amount of time yeah. uh, because they have a morning session and an afternoon session. And so, uh, it's a three hour day for the kids. Yeah. That includes, uh -huh. they feed them too. They so they get snack. breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Oh, get breakfast. Yeah. Okay. So it's hypothetically, it's more like two hours, sure. you know? So in two hours, you're supposed to do a whole ton of stuff, including they also go outside. Is that enough play. time in your opinion? Well, we actually are going to be going to a new school this year, Crawford Elementary School, which is uh, ideally where she's going to be going to for element for kindergarten. And so the teacher that we were just talking to when we registered Iris two days ago, uh, Miss Karen, she was saying that we just got this another 15 minutes and we're so excited because we got we got approved for another 15 minutes. Wow. And so that's something that budget-wise, to be able to offer another 15 minutes, that's how many, you know, who knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars or something it like that. goes into that, sure. Yeah. So, but they were super excited for that extra 15 minutes, which, you know, because I've been in the corporate world as well. And, you know, like at one of my jobs that I worked in the private sector, like, they're like, hey, you know, why don't you get breakfast burritos for everybody for the first half hour, you know? And, <laughs> and so then I go into education where it's like, you're battling for 15 minutes, you know? So yeah. it's... It's a little bit higher stakes when you think about it in that way. When it comes, and obviously you're 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 doing that from a first 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 case basis because of your daughter. Yeah. But when it comes to cultures, let's talk about the United States. You've already mentioned Japan. You've already I've talked a little bit about China. India right now has 350 million children. Yeah. That's the population of the United States. Just fathom that. That's 350 million children under the age of 18 are in India. That's the population of the United States. They obviously have a population of one point something billion people. Uh, that's a lot. That's a, hu a huge amount of uh, children in one culture. We don't have that problem here. We're spread out and you know throughout the states. It, when it comes to, to rural education in history, when you're teaching history, um, I've heard when I was growing up, we were called the American melting pot. Everybody's welcome. Come in, bring your culture, melt in. Now it's called the fruit bowl. Uh, we call the teachers are calling it. We're a giant, you know, either a fruit bowl or a giant, you know, vegetable bowl where we bring our different, you know, feelings and friends and families. Why are we changing these things? Why can't we just call it the melting pot? In the world of history, obviously, our country is built on immigrants a lot, and other countries it's not. In the United States, in the world of history, what are we teaching now? I mean, you know, obviously things have changed. What's changed the most in the world of teaching history? to our minors in the United States? Well, you know, I think the first issue that you address as far as like immigration kind of, and as far as that melting pot, I think that still rings true. And here in the Denver metro area, for example, uh, we're over kind of by Lowry and, uh, and they're in Lowry and we're, we're technically in Aurora. And uh, there's, a, there's a huge population, not only of Latinos, but also of um, African refugees in mm -hmm. Lowry. They're sure. from Ethiopia and Eritrea. And so we were really excited when we knew that Iris was going to be able to go to school 
in such a diverse uh, setting as yeah. far as that goes. And so I think that's something Cause that... Because 30, 30 years ago in Colorado, that wouldn't probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. And so to be able to be exposed to that many different types of cultures and backgrounds and traditions, I think that that can only enrich somebody um, to be able to be that much more of an amazing and in-depth in personality and individual. So... So I think that's that's really great to be in an environment where you have that opportunity. Um, and so for the second part, as far as what has changed with his historical education, mm -hmm. in Colorado, uh, just within the last three years, we are finally now uh, testing uh, social studies. And so social studies is history, government, economics, and geography. Mm -hmm. And so technically, it's it's a mix of all four of those things that go on in stuff. our classroom every day. Um, and so, so I, you know, there's all these conversations about standardized testing and stuff like that. Um, from my perspective, as soon as social studies became a standard, a state tested subject, it raised the importance of social studies because a lot of times it can get lost in the shuffle between math and literacy, um, and so it just becomes a part of literacy basically. So from my perspective, it was a great thing when Good. the CMAS is what it's called, mm -hmm. became a social studies test as well. And I'm a seventh grade teacher, and that's one of the three grades that it's tested in. It's a fourth, seventh, and it used to be 12th, but I think they got rid of that one. But uh, so now it's only two different times. So, so I think it's worth the time that they take to be able to, as long as it's a good test. Um, so that's the main change that's happened in Colorado. But then the other thing, as far as what you touched on with um, just general history education is the fact that you can Google everything. You can. And so it's not as important now to be able to memorize dates and places and old dead guys, you know? So <laughs> because you can have a bet with your friend as far as like what year uh, Andrew Jackson was president and, you know, two seconds later, you can pull it up on your phone and you can right. see whether or not you get five bucks from your friend, right. you know? <laughs> and so, so now, you know, that's like what we had said as far as like all of my tests are open notes. Right. Where, open notes, which is great. So it's more I would, skills. I would be a great student in your class. <laughs> so are they timed? Uh, no, I usually give them as much time Sometimes as they, they need. need. Yeah. Good. So if they need a little bit of time, they can come in during, it's usually on their time. So sure. once class is over, they can come in during lunch or something nice. like that. But, uh, but it's more about the concepts and it's more about the skills as far as, for example, like how to analyze information. Like there's so much information that we're on information uh, overload. Yeah. So how do you know when you pull something up on Google, like if that's something that we should trust or not? So that's what, from my perspective, is more of our responsibility these days as far as like, here's all the information. So how do we know what, you know, if it's accurate information and what, what we can make of it. Is education evolving as the humankind is evolving? I mean, I know in seventh grade there are must-haves. And what I mean by must-haves, there, must, there are things you must teach during seventh grade. I mean, there's part of history that has to be taught in that year. It's pretty much, have you changed anything? Is there pretty much those things? What are the, what are the bullet points of seventh grade social studies now? What must, you, what must get you in? What, what, what you, what, what, nah, I can say it. Yeah. Um, what, so, uh, what, you, what must you get into their heads? Thank you. Yeah. So I think that uh, I believe kind of like the technical answer for that is that the state comes out with the standards, like the state standards as far as like in seventh grade, this is what students should be able to know and be able to do by the end of the year. And that also is what ends what up is showing it, what up. Is the, what does some of that encompass? What, what some of those Oh, so like, like for history, it's, uh, you know, the Eastern Hemisphere, history of the Eastern Hemisphere until the year 1300. Okay. And for geography, it's how to analyze 
a map and how to uh, to be able to evaluate physical features for you know the resources and how a society can utilize physical features of, cool. a, of okay. a place. And for government, it's the role of a citizen and like what are the various rights and responsibilities of a citizen depending on whether or not you're at the bottom of the social pyramid or at the top, you know, or in the middle. And how do they interact with each other? So it's not just like the government. We also do like, what is a democracy? What is a republic? What is a dictatorship? But it's also like the role of a citizen in a mm -hmm. society, taking it all the way from the beginning of like the hunter-gatherer societies, all the way through empires and through essentially the Renaissance, uh, if not- It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah, but it's therefore, you know, I can't fully expect my students to be you know, to be able to get all that content. But, so that's why what we do cover, we say, okay, so here's a primary source, which is like uh, Hammurabi's code, which was the first written laws in a society. And so how do you analyze that source to be able to use that in your historical nonfiction writing as far as uh, to be, you know, essentially getting them going with research as far as like, here's a source, tell, prove to the reader that you're a reliable writer and that you actually should be trusted, you know? And so, so we can kind of pick and choose as far as the content that we do. We can do the same thing in ancient Rome that we do in ancient Egypt, but as long as it matches up with what the standards are saying, then they're gonna be just fine as far as getting into eighth grade and beyond, and also on the state assessment. Now so. you teach, you know, 32 different kids three times a day, four times a uh, day? Well, we, we go on a block schedule, okay. so essentially it's six times every two days. Okay, six times every two days. So 165 kids. 165 kids. kids. Yeah. You have A, B, C, D, and F's kids. I mean, yeah. You will. You just will. Is it more fun to teach the A, B kids, the kids who get the A's and B's, or do you like the challenge of the D's and F's kids? You know, that's a tough one. A lot of time the, the D and the F kids are actually the most intelligent kids in the room, but they're just bored. You know, so you think it's... So, just, so it's just getting to the why of it all as far as like, why is this kid not doing what, you know, what everybody else is late doing? Late bloomers, just that type of thing? It could be. Or, yeah. or, or that's like, you know what, like this is boring to me. I'd rather be either like doing what I'm passionate about, whether it's like sports or something else. Or, you know, I already know all this stuff, like challenge me more, you okay. know. So, yeah. or it could be that they have some sort of a disability, whether it be like, like we talked about ADD, ADHD, social dyslexia. dyslexia. Um, or social emotional. And so, um, so it's kind of it, what I really like, as opposed to like what type of kid I like to be able to kind of un unlock the puzzle as far as why that kid is being successful or why that kid is not being so successful. So you like, you like the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the most rewarding time that I've ever had is when one of my kids that was just like the thorn in my side for the entire year, but I didn't give up on him. Good. And then at the last day of school, he gave me this thank you note that was just, you know. It, blew, you blew your mind away. I don't know. It was a little dusty in the room or something. Sure. But yeah, I started to get some <laughs> yeah, water Yeah, a little tear. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, a little bit. So that was oh, really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. The, the, the challenge is for teachers is unbelievable these days. Yeah. You're, you're, you're asked to do so much. You're asked to babysit. You're asked to counsel. You're asked to be a mentor. You're asked to be a, be a coach even sometimes. You're asked to be an emotional coach sometimes. And you're and you deal with you know all the different levels of education that like a, a B C D E F G H I J K whatever you know they, those, <laughs> yeah. those 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 grades that they get. And I'm going to ask you this a little bit later, but your, your challenges. Do you, do you feel like every kid should go to high school? I mean, you're sitting you're sitting there with that seventh grader. You know they're going to be an eighth grader. They have to be. But does every kid in the United States have to go to high school? I know it's a requirement, and we all do it, and it's something that's 
embedded into our society. You must go to high school. You must at least get a high school education or a GED. But do we really need that anymore? Well, you know, I think that has a lot of angles on it. Uh, uh, in Guatemala, for example, which I have a lot of experience in, uh, I take a group of teachers down there every year uh, to be able to do kind of a culture and language immersion. And um, the, the expectation in Guatemala is that you'll go through sixth grade and then beyond that, uh, it's, it's more of a technical school type mm -hmm. feel where like you can study to be a teacher, you can study to be a, a nurse. Ireland or, does it too with the 11 plus. Yeah. Yeah. And so from my perspective, um, there, there's always been a huge push as far as, I mean, it's a given as far as high school in my mind. It's, in the United it's a States, it's a given. Go. Yeah. Go through high school. At um, least and get through it. And then, but then recently within the last one or two years, at least in my mind, it's been more of a, a transition from everybody needs to go to a four-year university to maybe you don't want to go to a university or you don't want to go right away. And that's okay. As long as you have a plan and as long as you have the you know, a, yeah, as long as you're goal driven, maybe it, it works out better, especially because of the cost of education. Yeah, I mean, people are, people are, I mean, average, and this is just in Colorado, the average kid is graduating, and let's just round it to the nearest 10, $30,000 in debt when they graduate with a four year degree if yeah. they go all the way through and if they do a minimum amount of, a minimum amount of loans. Yeah. And yeah, so when you take that into consideration, a lot of times financially or just realistically, you know, unless you want to be in debt for a long time, um, then it d might make more sense to go to a community college or yeah. a technical school. And do you yeah. believe in a gap year? Like, did you, do you, when you were in high school teaching those seniors, did you ever tell a parent, you know, maybe Charlie, maybe Susan should take a gap year and kind of figure out what she wants to do instead of going straight into a university or college situation? Have you ever given a parent that advice? I've never given a parent that advice, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that it can happen. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when they take that gap year, it's that much more possible that they're not going to go back to college, but it can happen. I mean, it's something that, you know, like, especially if you have supportive parents that are able to help out a kid to, to you know, maybe get a job or to be able to, like, for example, my awesome uh, brother-in-law, Nick, is, uh, he kind of took that philosophy and he is now like a, a school bus driver for Jeffco. Perfect. And so he's working with kids. He was a paraprofessional for autistic kids for the last uh, year and a half. So I he think. can deal with anybody on the bus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that he should become a special education teacher. He'd probably be better than a lot of the, the people that are currently out there, you know. But but yeah, so he's super driven and he's he's got a lot of support and he's, you know, just overall a great guy. And so I think that for somebody like that, then yeah, gap year is a good idea. But for a lot of kids, especially if they don't have support from family, then it's something where it's it's a good chance that they're not ever going to go back to college. Let's talk about the Spanish for educators. Something you're passionate about. How long have you been doing that? This is taking the uh, teachers down to Guatemala. Yeah. So this has been this will be my fourth year uh, hosting teachers down there. Typically, it's a group of around you know 17 to 20 teachers from across the country, and uh, we do a two-year uh, language immersion. They take four, four hours a day of private Spanish classes. We stay with a local family, so they get that cultural piece. Uh, it includes meals and, uh, you know, to be able to practice your Spanish in, in a house setting where it's a little bit safer. Oh, I love it. Um, and then we do uh, cultural uh, activities as far as we learn about the Mayan culture, and we have an opportunity to go to the Mayan ruins of Tikal, which is like this amazing Mayan city that's in the middle of the rainforest and there's monkeys all over the place and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I just got back from there last Wednesday actually. And we had our, 
a really great cohort of teachers. And it's just so neat when you've got teachers from across the country. We have quite a few from California and New Jersey and here in Colorado. Jefferson County has been, has been really supportive as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. And um, and Florida, actually. Do you have reunions? Have you had a reunion yet? A four-year reunion? of? Well, luckily, uh, you know, nowadays you've got Facebook yeah, where Facebook. it's kind of always a reunion. Sure. So I'm like, I know what it's, what's Facebook going on. Facebook and Skype. Yeah, yeah and Skype. So, But I think that would be great to be able to get that first cohort together from Fort Collins, from Poudre School District in Fort Collins, and to be able to, you know, have a picnic or something. But, uh, yeah, so it's really great to now, be able did to... did you start this or did you help... Yeah, you started. So it. I'm the founder of it. I started out on the medical side, so yeah, out of right college. Here, yeah. yeah, so it's called Spanish-Medical.com, mm-hmm. and so I still do that from time to time. But I'm, you know, obviously now I'm in education, so kind of my passion still lies in the on the educator side, and that's where I, with the medical uh, program, they basically go down and they do the program. I have all my contacts built up, and they do that down in Argentina, Chile. Um, and Guatemala and Peru. Wow. Um, and then for the Spanish for Educators, um, I go down there with them. And I ha- there's some facilitators that I work with that we, part of the best thing about it is that we're able to kind of share, kind of talk shop, if you will, sure. while we're down there. And then we also go into a Guatemalan public school, which like I had mentioned before, like they only go through sixth grade. So if there's right. a eighth grade or a high school teacher, like a lot of times they're still going into an elementary school because of the circumstances. Um, but so that's really a great perspective to be able to see what education is like in a different part of the country as well. It's amazing. And then by the time that they come back, they're a lot more empathetic to the uh, Spanish speaking families and the just non-English speaking families. And who, who helps fund this? I mean, how does this get funded? Is it self-funded? It depends. So each teacher pays their own way or typically, yeah, typically sometimes they'll do a GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's around $1,700 for the tuition. Then the, the airfare is around $600. And how long do you stay? Uh, anywhere from t- the, the base program is two weeks and okay. then they have an option of extending it by another two weeks, one or two weeks. So it could be up to a four week program. And you always go during the summer because that's when you have time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about possibly doing something during winter break or something like that, but and fall uh, break, you get a fall break too, right? Yeah. Although that's yeah. different from district. To oh, district. that's right. Of course so, they all couldn't go. Yeah. But so that might be in the possibility of the future, but, uh, what made you do this? What was this? What made you say, hey, I want medical and, and, and education? What made you say, I want, to do, I want to do something in South America? Well, you know, uh, on the education side, uh, whenever I've had, uh, uh, especially Spanish-speaking families that, uh, you know, I've really been, I've had some amazing uh, kids that my colleagues aren't able to communicate with their families that they're doing well. So they need to get a translator. They, And so when I'm able to pick up that phone and talk to them and say, you know what, Brian has just been a rock star and he's been doing amazing. (laughs) And I'm able to talk about that in in a way that we can communicate face to face on the phone or at parent-teacher conferences. And those are just those moments where it's like this mother or this father is just like, wow, I never knew that my my kid was such a rock star, you know? And so that makes it all worth it. And that's kind of wanted to be able to make that so other people could have that opportunity as what well. What a great gift. So, so yeah, it's been what really great. What a great gift you're yeah. doing. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's going to keep going. So as, as long as you can do it, you're going to keep doing it, right? Yeah. So Spanish, the number four, educators.org. And uh, so next year, we're going to try to do two trips. Okay. I've got somebody out of Fort Collins named Tiffany, who's uh, been an amazing uh, uh, advocate for the program. And so she's going to be helping out as far as facil- facilitating the trips. And, you're, and have, you can speak the language, can't you? Yeah. You're yeah. fluent. 
I mean, I, I would like to consider myself fluent, but I guess that just depends on how you... I, I mean, I can definitely have conversations and I can get by. Can you I, say I, I'm on the topic of conversation? Can you say <laughs> I'm on the topic of conversation in Spanish? Ahora mismo estoy en uh, la tema de conversación. Oh, very good. Sí. That's very fluent. Yeah, yeah restaurante right. de... ¿Cómo se llama ese restaurante? Uh, original Brooklyn's. Original Brooklyn. Brooklyn Brooklyn's original. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. That's very so. good. All right. <laughs> But yeah, and, and another great thing about it is we have a lot of Guatemalans that are now involved with the program. So it used to be where we'd take a bunch of facilitators from the United States, and but now it's a lot more collaborative where we've got uh, people that are living there that are able to kind of be the leaders on the trip. And so that's another really great thing is to be able to have a little bit more direction from Guatemala as opposed to be kind of feeling like we're kind of imposing. It's more, a lot more collaborative. And the so country is welcoming. I mean, they know the, ed the education department and education, you know, national education, people know that you're there and they're very into it and, and they're fine with it. I mean, once it gets that big, I hope yeah, I'll be able get to that have big. those It'll, conversations. You're, you're going to get that big. <laughs> so, so far, you know, having one cohort a year that goes down there, I haven't been able to have those conversations yet, but that is, you know, on the radar that I'm hoping to be able to. And, and I, it's through some of the relationships that I have made, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do have that. Have you yeah. invited your counterpart down there to Colorado? Yeah, so uh, the Guatemalan public school that we work with that's called El Hato, that's uh, just outside of Antigua, uh, they have just such a lovely community and they have a very big emphasis on dance and choreography. So their PE teacher is actually like kind of like a dance slash choreography teacher. And so they do all these different competitions and stuff like that. So I have had a conversation with the principal as far as like, hey, what would it take to be able to to have this teacher kind of do a teacher exchange type mm -hmm. thing? And uh you know, my teacher, my uh, boss at McAuliffe doesn't know that I'm going to ask him this. So sorry, Kurt. <laughs> it's but, coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. So, <laughs> oh. but it is an elementary school. So there's plenty of elementary schools that I could also check in with as far as that goes. You know? Steve Foster, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and bringing us, bringing us your talents and the Spanish uh, for educators and everything you're doing in the state of Colorado in the world of education. I think it's great that you've actually moved around a little bit. As a as a father and as a, as a someone who, who who moves around a lot, uh, I think it's really neat that you've been able to teach in different districts and just staying in one place where it's comfy cozy. You've actually gone out there and seen different parts of the world, which I think makes you a better a better educator. Yeah, and, and eventually will make you a better you know whatever you want to do, you're going to do uh, well, in, in the world of education. We're we're excited to, that you're a friend of the show. We're excited that you're uh, you know Steph and and some somehow extended family of Steph and everybody because. Uh, you, you both married the siblings, which is nice, uh, yeah. and, and there's a whole family here, and we thank your family for being here and supporting you as well in the live audience. Thank you so much for that. But, I want to um, send another thank you out to my sure. awesome uh, niece and nephews out there, and also Chris and Steph. Thank you guys, as well as my beautiful mother-in-law, as well as my beautiful grandma. So thank you guys for coming, and of course, my really lovely wife. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and they call you Aunt Steve. Yes. Why do they yes. call you Aunt Steve? Well, That's hilarious. Uh, at the time, you know, they didn't have a lot of exposure with uncles. And so I don't know if that was like necessarily like a vocabulary word. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, so it was Aunt Crystal and I was with Aunt Crystal. So they're like, oh, you must be Aunt Steve. That's awesome. You know? That's so, so yeah. funny. So yeah. Are you ready for Rob's fast five questions? Sure. Here we go. If you could change anything in history, what would you change? I could change anything it's wrong with me. In the past. Probably, I would say probably just genocide. Yeah, the Holocaust. Yeah. Okay. Just genocide. Just genocide yeah. in general. Yeah. Well, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. That's a lovely one. I mean, it's not lovely, 
Gen no, no, genocide, genocide is not lovely, no, but wanting yeah. to stop it is. Yes, yes. thank you. There yeah. we go. Okay. Yes, yeah. Um, why do why do coaches why do coaches and PE teachers make good principals? They don't always make good principals. Okay. So I would sorry. disagree with sorry, that statement. Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, coaches. I think then that's you know my I got my background in coaching, and they were you know that was where I was able to get a lot of those structures down. And kids are a lot more bought in when they're sometimes, not always, when they're doing sports and something that they're actually a lot more active for. So sure. it's kind of a good proving ground as far as you know moving that into the classroom. So um, Disney's High School Musical takes place in high school, and Greece takes place during high school. Which one do you like better? <laughs> Probably, I would say you know Disney. I, I got Disney's stick with High School Disney. Musical. Yeah, yeah, nowadays with my daughter, she's Disney everything. Yeah. So I got. She's gonna love Have that. my allegiance. And, there. They, yeah. and they are a trilogy. They've got three movies. So, okay. Well, yeah. I'm sure I'll find out about that eventually. <laughs> We're still on Frozen. So Greece is. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. You'll be on Frozen for the. For oh yeah. Ten years. Yeah. I've only seen it about 127 <laughs> times. <laughs> well, it's coming to Broadway. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if they can put if they can put uh, SpongeBob the musical on Broadway, and Jimmy Buffett's gonna have a musical on Broadway soon, uh, they can easily, you know, uh, you know, Frozen's coming. Well, thanks to Grandma Julie for taking us to Frozen on Ice. That was a lot there of fun. So, yeah, Frozen yeah. on Ice. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds fun. Right? It was. Sense, it was a blast. It sounds fun. It was. It was a blast. Uh, but Grease doesn't. You don't like Grease. Didn't like the movie at all. Or didn't like the musical. Didn't like it. Didn't. Didn't touch. You know, my wife. You know, yeah. she'd be the one to talk to about the that. Grease, but yeah. you know, I'll mm. sit, I'll, I'll, I'll go up to Red Rocks and they have the Grease uh, film on the rocks. You know, I'll do that. Uh, you're a swimmer. You're a college, high school and college uh, swimmer yeah. uh, in, uh, in 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 uh, Loveland and and of course in uh, Tampa. Uh, who's your favorite swimmer uh, right now? I mean, obviously you you've mentioned that Michael Phelps will be carrying the flag for our nation uh, during the Parade of Nations uh, coming up this weekend. But who who do you like? Who, who's your favorite swimmer of all time? Well, I mean, living in Colorado, I don't think I could get away with this one unless I didn't say Missy Franklin. Well, so, sure. I mean, yeah. I'm going to have to go. And also, you know, like, she's pretty incredible as yeah. far as, you know, how she is with the younger kids and how she is as a spokesman for the state of Colorado and just uh, the way that she carries herself. So yeah. she's kind of the complete package in, so, my, yeah. in my mind. And, yeah. and Spitz wasn't there for you? Was he your hero of yours? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, definitely those uh, guys back then. Tom Jagger Tom and Matt Biondi sure. were great. And uh, David Burkhoff, who was a backstroker. I did backstroke. You were a backstroker. So, was that your yeah. favorite event? Yeah, that was what backstroke. I was able to, you know, that, that was what I was the best at. I okay. wouldn't say favorite, but yeah. So what's it, what's it take to be a great backstroker? Is it upper body, you know, shoulders? What is it? It's, it's a, a, big it's a you know, uh, it's called a, a long axle mm -hmm. uh, stroke. So freestyle and backstroker. So as long, like I have long arms and long legs. And so mm -hmm. that definitely helps me out with both freestyle and backstroke, which is what I was strongest at sure. versus breaststroke and butterfly, which were short axle strokes. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Good stuff. So, and, and, and what was your best time? What did you do? Uh, in high school, I was able to uh, break the 20-year uh, school record Ooh. of uh, Sam Houston, uh, who would have been Loveland's representation at the Olympic Games in 1980 had it not been for the boycott of the Games. Carter, and so yeah. in high school, I did the 100 back in 52, 52 seconds and 0.9. And then in uh, college, I got it down to like... 50 seconds. So. Wow. That's but fast. that two seconds, it, it's actually sure. a lot to that's drop lot. another two. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the Olympics are going to be in Rio. Yeah. And, uh, what do you think? Do you think that's a good place for it or you think it should be somewhere I'm, else? I'm excited. You know, yeah. I think like we were talking about uh, beforehand, like I think that 
who knows? You know, there's a lot of speculation as far as the quality of the water for the open water swimming and the triathlon and stuff like that. But also, you know, the, the popular media always needs something to talk about. So it could just be trying to build the anxiety of the general public before the games and have something to talk about. So that's what I'm hoping that it is because in Beijing, there was a lot of talk about various things like that and it ended up being a pretty good quality games. And so... Do you ever see yourself not teaching? You know, I, I would like to always teach in some capacity. And so whether or not that means that I end up being like the hockey coach of my daughter's team or something like that, even though I don't know how to play hockey and I'm not that good of a skater, like I would like to take on that challenge. But um, so I think that that's something that I really enjoy doing, but it may not necessarily always look like public education. It might be going back to coaching or some other capacity. Well, in my mind, I think any kid that gets you this year and the years to come is blessed and you're, you're, you seem like a great guy and you have a great family and a great outreach and very supportive family. So I wish you the absolute best and thank you so much for being with us here on the program. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I really appreciate it. Folks, thank you so much. Uh, just, just, a kindly, just a kindly reminder to please talk, listen, and laugh as much as you can through life and wake up every day with a purpose to do good things for yourself and others, just like Steve Foster does every day. And you never know, we may give you a call, we may find you and ask you to join us right down here in downtown Denver at Historical Original Brooklyn's to be our topic of conversation. My name's Rob Scoggins, I'm your host. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and good night.
the same 